Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at Banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned, independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at Banyan.com. Please subscribe follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this special Banyan Books event in partnership with Archaia Awareness Center. My name is Ross McKeechee. I'm the interview host for Banyan Books, and I'm really excited to be joining you tonight with, for this special event in celebration of the UN's uh, International Day of Yoga and Canada's National Indigenous Peoples Day. Although we have people joining us from all over the world for these special events, the physical location of Banyan Books and Sound is on the traditional and unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Our two guests this evening, one from the Indian yogic culture and one from the Squamish nation here in British Columbia. Yogacharini Maitreyi is an international master teacher, practical mystic, and the founder of Arkaya Awareness Center and Arkaya Foundation. For the last 25 years, she has shared the deeper dimensions of yoga, self-management, and sattvic tantra worldwide. This includes seeing and shifting within ourselves deep-rooted conditioning that is divisive, exploitative, colonial, or disrespectful. She was born and raised in India where she was immersed in the yogic life for over four decades through her grandfather and gurus. She studied in the Shivananda and then the Ananda ashram for many years. Since 1997 in India, Maitreyi has been given formal titles like yoga chemal or expert, Yoga Shiromani, or Gem, and Yoga Acharini, or Guide. In 2007, she was one of the youngest to be invited to the advisory board of the World Yoga Council in Europe. Maitreyi trains teachers in an online two-year, 500-hour self-awareness program, mentoring them in the culture and practice of yoga. She's also my teacher, and I'm really delighted that I get to support her in those programs. To learn more about Yogacharini Maitreyi and Arkaya's programs, you can visit our website, which is arkaya.net. Thank you, Maitreyi, for joining us. Thank you, Ross and Banyan Books for having me here. It's, uh, I'm elated to be with Robert Yelton as well, who is very yes. dear to me, yeah. And our, our next guest, Robert Yelton, is a Squamish Nation carver and elder statesman. 
He carved the first and only Squamish Nation totem pole at Brockton Point in Stanley Park, which is on the traditional Squamish territory. He learned to mix paints for his grandmother when he was eight years old and carve when he was 11 years old. Through the many years of trials and tribulations and feeling like an outsider in his own land, it was his carving that became a tool for his spiritual awakening and ongoing connection. He's also a retired drug and alcohol counselor and one of the founding members of the National Native Alcohol and Drug Abuse Program, or NADAP. He's supported many youth in moving through their trauma by showing them the way of integrity, kindness, and love. Robert is a guest speaker at many organizations and universities giving talks on Indigenous culture, carving, and spirituality. He also speaks about the commonalities and the differences in culture and tradition between the variety of Indigenous nations throughout Turtle Island. On Robert's totem in Stanley Park, his mother is represented at the base of the pole. Robert included her because she was the last survivor of the Squamish nation that grew up in Stanley Park, which is on traditional Squamish territory. So big welcome to you, Robert Yelton. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And Robert, maybe I can pass over to you to, to do a welcome uh, for everybody that's here. Uh, our, it's so important that we do do the welcome. Anytime we have uh, any events like this, it's always important that we welcome in the people that are coming into our territories of um, Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish Nation. Uh, it's so important that we respect when we um, created our canoe journey. And when I did an opening in Stanley Park, it was um, before any of the canoes could come ashore from the other nations, they asked permission to come ashore and we welcome them. That, that's the, the big part of our culture that when we have our hands up, we thank you that way. And it's to show that respect and that we're, we don't mean no harm. And every welcome that we do, we do that way, same, same way, a uh, big part of our protocol. Beautiful, thank you. And now Maitre is gonna lead us through uh, just a bit of a centering practice so that we can all connect with ourselves before we get into our, our conversation. And Maitre, I, I'll pass over to you. Thank you, Ross, and thank you, Robert. We're going to start by connecting to the elementals who are our ancestors. And a simple way of doing that is through mudra. So mudra can be a hasta mudra, hasta is hand in Sanskrit. It can be a mukha mudra of the face. So a smile is a mukha mudra. And because we smile, there's a certain neurological shift that takes place in the brain. There's also an energetic shift that takes place. So I'm just gonna invite you to explore reconnecting to the earth, to the water, to all the elements which are our ancestors. So the first mudra that we're going to do is connect to the water element. So this is the Varuna mudra. Again, you don't have to remember all the names. So with both hands, we're going to do this. Again, you can see Ross is doing this as well. Tips of the little finger and the thumb touching. We'll be connecting to all the elementals. 
and place the palms faced upwards. And just be aware of how you're sitting. Are you sitting tall? We're over 70% water. And as within, so without. If we look at the artistry of Mother Nature, how she's created us, it's similar to how the earth is. The composition or the percentage. So simply be present to this light touch. Your breathing, your body. And let's take one deep breath. Opening our hearts and honoring this water element in us. Let's take a nice deep breath. Breathing in full chested breath, lower, mid, upper chest. And whoosh out through the mouth. Take a moment to just absorb all this beautiful prana or life force. Reconnecting to the water, rebalancing the water element in us. Again, there's a whole science of holding just this mudra for a long period of time, but I'm. this is just a little introduction and a reconnection. So I'm going to ask you to open your eyes and now bring your fingers, your thumb, and touch it to the ring finger. So this, by doing this, we are activating and rebalancing the earth element. Again, closing the eyes, again, being aware of the body, again, connecting to our ancestors one of them being the element earth. And mother earth is called Bhumi Devi in Sanskrit. She's the master provider, nurturer, and also the master composter. And by connecting to the earth's EMF, we can also start resonating with a healing energy and therefore create healing art. It's quite beautiful to see how when we are in resonance, we become a vehicle of that resonance in anything we do, including art. Let's take a deep breath to that, breathe in. Expanding, 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 and wishing out. And slowly opening the eyes. And now let's connect to the next element, which is space, that is the middle finger to the thumb. The other fingers are together, cohesive. Again, palms turned upwards, connecting to akasha or space. How does it feel to have spaciousness in one's life? When there's stagnation on a physical level, when there's trauma on an emotional level, 
we feel confined, we feel constricted. And this is a beautiful ancestor to connect to when we want to feel spacious, open, free. And let's take a nice deep breath to that. Breathe in. Expanding, expanding, expanding. And whooshing out anything we don't need. Or that doesn't serve us. Gently open your eyes. And then now you can again look at the screen if you're in doubt. We're touching the tip of the index finger and the thumb. And this finger represents air. Again, eyes are closed, palm turned upwards. And this has got another name as well, which is the Jnana Mudra. Jnana means wisdom. The index finger also represents the individual. And by bringing it together with the thumb, we're not only connecting with our ancestor air, the air we breathe in, the wind or the soft touch of the breeze, we feel we're lacking touch in our lives or connection in our lives. We feel isolated. This is a great mudra to keep. But it also allows for true wisdom. Where both the individual and the collective, the fire of consciousness represented by the thumb, can work as a team. Let's take a nice deep breath to that. Breathe in. Expand, expand, expand. And whoosh out anything that doesn't serve us. Gently open your eyes. And the last mudra we're going to hold is like a thumbs up. When you want victory, it's quite easy to see in many cultures when you talk about victory or let's win or that's great. So this is activating the fire of consciousness. So we're going to keep it on our thighs. This nice thumbs up. Connecting to how it feels to have true victory. When we honor the land, when we honor the First Nations people of the land, when we honor our ancestors, which is each of the elements, we're grateful for what we receive, but we're also, we become custodians and caretakers of our elementals and ancestors. And let's take a nice deep breath to that. Breathe in. Expanding, expanding, expanding. Feel that ribcage and lung. Take in all that nice prana energy, life force, and whoosh out. Wonderful. Now gently rub your palms. Generating some prana energy. Place them on the eyes. where we soften, where we soothe the eyes. This mudra is called the sparsha, conscious loving touch. And yoga is all about getting back in touch, reconnection. 
where we turn our sight inwards, cultivating inner sight or insight. Let's gently relax our palms and I'll hand over to Ross. And thank you, Maitreji. And Robert, I wanted to ask you, Maitreji has beautifully led us through this practice of connecting to the elemental ancestors. And I was curious if you can talk about some of your ancestral heritage, particularly, I know that your mother um, played a big role in your life and you included her on, on your totem pole that you carve that's in Stanley Park. Maybe you can tell us a little a bit about her story and, and the story of the creation of your totem. Um, I, I think really where it began was my grandmother, my mom's mom. And um, as a kid, um, I got to grow up with my grandmother and um, at the practice that we do, it was banned from here, the Squamish nation. We couldn't do that. We had, you know, the big house we have, uh, we were not allowed to practice that. Um, I, I know that my grandmother, um, uh, once they found out, uh, they were against the practice of our religion, but now it's opened, right? But back in the fifties, it was banned. We were not allowed to practice that. So in order to um, practice it, I would have to go with my grandmother because she couldn't read or write. So she wouldn't know what bus to take, the numbers or anything like that. And so I would have to show her which one was a woman's washroom and all that because she couldn't read or write. And so from here, we would go down to Musqueam uh, where she was from and she married in with my grandfather. And I would stay the whole winter with my grandmother. Uh, she was what um, the people outside here, we really don't talk about it. They call it winter dancing, spirit dancing. And it's very closed. Uh, I tried to explain it before that even if you're native from back East or American native or whatever, and if you came to our big house, uh, the only way you can get in, you have to be invited. You have to be within Coast Salish. We have 56 nations that come within our nation from here down to Seattle. That's how far we go. And uh, the practice, uh, they've tried to write up on some of the stuff when we invited some of the non-natives in, uh, some wrote the books, you know, and uh, they tried to explain uh, uh, part of our culture, but they only got to see that one day that they got invited into a big ceremony, right? And so uh, they had a little general idea, but to them, uh, uh, the practice was, um, it, they didn't know nothing about it, so it was wrong. And especially against uh, the Roman Catholic religion, which uh, we grew up with, you know, with the reconciliation that came about and all that. So there was a lot of that stuff that came about. Um, in the 50s, the only one that would, um, that practiced it, uh, that were left was my grandmother, Chief Matthias, Chief August Jack, Chief Catalano from Kitsilano, um, Dominic Charlie, I think Andy Natral, 
there was only about five, six of them out of all our nation that still practice this what they call winter dancing. We have a name for it, but we don't say it. It's not for the public out here. And uh, everything, that's why they called us a secret society. I really don't know if we were a secret society, even we question it. But when they started to take our masks and our, our, our gear, traditional gear and that, and banned us from drumming and singing, then our people went underground. And that's how I think, and the rest of us think that the name of the secret society of the winter dancing came about. So I was very fortunate that I got to grow up with it and learn the old ways from my grandmother. And of course, my mom was right there all the time with her mom. And we lived down Muskim Reserve and we would have to spend the whole winter there. This is how long this practice goes on. It's only in the winter time. So um, uh, we would stay down the whole winter down Muskim. And then after the season's done, then we come back. But when it came back here to my Squamish people, that was about 20 years later. And uh, even with my own people, it scared them. It seems kind of weird, but their own spiritual religion scared them. And because they didn't know what it was. It was banned for 80 years or so, you know, and they didn't know what our winter dancing was. I did. So when we initiated, um, I think I explained some, some to my friend and um, it goes on for days. And like I say, uh, they do call us a secret society. Uh, what they go through and that is not for like, I am what they call backbone. And we're, I'm a very important part of the backbone of our big house. And uh, that's where I got my name. Uh, my great grandmother was called Halia. And uh, because we ran out of names, uh, there was a reason. And uh, so they converted uh, my great grandmother's name from Halia to Halia Saweno. And that's my ancestral name. That's the only name that any event that we go to, that's what I'm called up. I'm not called up as Robert. And so um, when it came back here, just about 1970, it really scared our people, you know, and, and literally. And I, I kept trying to explain to them that this is your culture, you know, this is who you are. And once um, they do get to uh, learn it, it's, um, it, it's such a very good practice, like very good. And just because the winter goes, you know, from October to March, and then it's over, you are still to walk that way of life, you know, and, and to learn it. It has some of the, the best, uh, what we practice is Mother Earth. She is our mother. We do and take it very serious when I'm talking to the non-native because uh, so many of them say, oh yeah, you natives, you, you call it Mother Earth. And I said, you know, if you look at it yourself, that's where all your wood, if you were in the fire and that, and you know, the deer, the animals, they all come from there. We make our drums and that. 
every part of the deer, the animal, the hosts are not everything. We, the antlers, we use it all. And then plus that's our food. And, and uh, we still practice that in, inside our big house. But to respect uh, the trees, uh, they're still fighting. We have some of the other groups that have came aboard, uh, be it like Greenpeace and these other groups. I just seen on TV the other day, they were blocking these highways over here and uh, they're fighting to save the old growth, which is so important. I mentioned over when we were in Stanley Park that we had the seven sisters. They were the giant seven sisters there in Stanley Park. They're gone now. And uh, the seven sisters, um, the stories that go with them, same as um, uh, they call the lines, the two mountains up here, the lines, uh, they're called the sisters, really. And we have a story that goes with that back uh, with our culture that is right. very important. Right. Now, Robert, just you just filled us in on uh, this, the principle that, that Mother Earth really is taken seriously in your culture and, and how it's acknowledged that everything comes from Mother Earth. Maitre, I just wanted to ask you about the principle in yogic culture of Sanatana Dharma, because I think that's really a foundational understanding for the yogic culture. Maybe you can fill us in on that concept of Sanatana Dharma and how that relates to the yogic culture and art. Thank you, Ross. Before I go into answering, I just wanted to say that every time I listen to Robert, I've known him for over uh, four plus years where we actually mm -hmm. met at a powwow. It was not in any sort of a formal thing. He just mm -hmm. came and spoke to me and, you know, mm -hmm. it was wonderful. And I've been listening to stories, you know, and I, he never runs out of stories. He never runs out of examples. And each time I hear him, oh, I haven't heard this. And, you know, a few years ago, I said, Robert, we need to make a film about you. I'm a trained filmmaker. <laughs> so it was like, and I keep transcribing and he's such a wealth of wisdom. And this wealth needs to be preserved of the elders and of the oral tradition. So, so thank you again, Robert, for being here. So no, coming back to Sanata. Yeah, thank you. Sanatana Dharma. So that's a great question, uh, Ross. So if you look at the yogic or the Indian or the Hindu ethos, now the word Hindu itself is, is pretty recent from those settlers of the Sindhu River and the Persians couldn't pronounce the word S, so it became Hindu River and therefore Hindus, you know. So, but if you look at the original ethos, it was called Sanatana Dharma and Sanatana means eternal and Dharma is harmony. I mean, people translate dharma as duty, but it's much more than trite duty. It is something that one exudes and one executes because of their love for fairness and their love for wanting harmony within and without. So this beautiful uh, culture understood that and said, yes, we can all tap into this eternal stream of harmony, this divine matrix. And it gave us a set of principles. It gave us a set of practices 
through which we can tune into this beautiful Sanatana Dharma. And as Robert was saying, all indigenous cultures, they tapped into Sanatana Dharma. If you see uh, Robert speaking, it's pure Sanatana Dharma to me to say, oh, we have to respect the land we're on. We have to respect mother nature. How can we be disconnected and, you know, think we're living a good life? So these indigenous cultures intrinsically understood that. And the way they raised their young was also, even if the young didn't understand it, they drilled it into the young people's minds. So this Sanatana Dharma, again, matches with one's own Dharma. So each one of us has a Dharma. Maybe you have the Dharma of a father or a mother. I have the Dharma of a teacher. I have the Dharma of a daughter. So whatever roles we're playing also align with this Sanatana Dharma. And then there is this Swadharma, that is one's own commitment to one's evolution so all of these kind of you know like they're subsets of sanatana dharma and they align so even the art that is represented or that is created in these ancient cultures was to allow you to do your dharma or was for you to express your self in harmonious uplifting sattvic ways again what is sattva Sattva is still alive, alert, harmony, as opposed to rajas or tamas. Now, there are three gunas or three qualities. So if you see anything, any food, any person, any activity, any interaction, there will be all these three gunas. But we say in yoga that if it can be predominantly clear, predominantly harmonious, that is sattvic, that's great. Tamas is dull, dark, dense, ignorant. Uh, filled with darkness. Uh, Rajas is, there's a lot of greed and competitiveness and aggressiveness. So of course, in any of our internal or external interactions, we don't want that. And we also don't want art to express too much tamas or rajas, because when you see art, we're also absorbing that expression into us. So it's a two-way process in Indian art. We create it, yes, but the viewer or the seer also absorbs the dynamics of what they're seeing or what they're hearing or what they're uh, experiencing. So I'll leave it with that. And, you know, we can elaborate later. Thanks, Russ. That's beautiful. Thank you. Robert, you, you told us a, a bit about your, your upbringing and your, your great grandmother, your grandmother, your mother. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey with carving um, and how it helped you in your healing and spiritual connection? Uh, in your life? Uh, it, you know, it really seems kind of weird because um, <clears throat> it was in my later part of life where uh, um, you, your status jumps up. Once I did the poll like 12 years ago in Stanley Park, it really jumps you way up, you know, your status in that. Uh, the majority of uh, all other top carvers, you know, that put their totem pole at Paroxin Point which the real name is called Papiak. And uh, we're, it's so important that we keep our ancestral names with Stanley Park, which is Swahwe. I mentioned that to you before. And we have the names. This, these are how we identify our territories and our stories that, that go along with it. And so stuff like that, uh, that, that's why it was so important that when I found out uh, and they were mentioning uh, back in 98, 
about my mom being the last living survivor that grew up at Brockton Point. Um, I always said that if I ever got a log, and it seemed way beyond my capabilities at the time, uh, I, I would do a, a carving. Uh, I grew up knowing in the 50s that the eight totem poles that are in Bro uh, Brockton Point, Papiak, that they were not Squamish. They were from every other nation, but not Squamish. And this is our territory. You know, my grandparents' house and that was right down there up until about the early 1935, anywhere around there. And then they moved my people out of there as they took over Stanley Park, as they did with Kitsilino and the other areas. And so, um, again, um, I did get given the log. And so, um, at the time, I was helping Jean Barman with her book called The Secrets of Stanley Park. And she found out that <clears throat> she was hoping to talk to my mom, but my mom was uh, sort of on her deathbed at that time. And uh, ends up, uh, Jean was like, it's you I need to talk to, because she knew I knew all the stories, eh? Because I grew up with my grandmother and, of course, my mom. And so be it with uh, the winter dancing and the carving that I learned from my family, the importance of our culture. And it always was a thorn in my side that there, we had not one totem pole in Stanley Park, not one. When my people back in the thirties, when they wanted to gift shop their little log cabin, they said, we wanted two eight or 10 foot poles on each side, a little canoe. And uh, they did not know how they were going about it. There's a picture on it. And they had a teepee on the side. That's a teepee is not our culture. We're big house, you know, and that's how little and nor did they care about it. Right. And so, um, so the importance of um, my getting to do the totem pole, it was 40 foot long. It ended up 36. I took two off the top and the bottom and um, I had no carvers. I had no money, but the thing was helping Jean Barman. I told her uh, she used all my photos for her book. And of course they used our stories, right? And I kept thinking we should write our own book because we're the ones that have the stories. We're the ones that have the picture, you know, the pictures and that. And yet we're sharing it all out, right? We've always shared, but it comes to a point where it's like, I think that's enough. Now I'll try to do my own book, you know, and, and for sure, you know, uh, so the, that's how that came about. And uh, so with the, the negotiating with Jim Loudon, um, here I am negotiating to do, put a pole up in Stanley Park, which is a huge deal. And I, like I say, I had no money. I had no carvers. Nobody was committed. And uh, different ones came when I started. I got to go ahead and said, uh, Rob, I want to help you. Uh, you know, I'm not a carver, but I want to help you because I know you're doing a good thing to honor your mom, your people, uh, because of what happened in Stanley Park with our people. And so th they go, could you teach me how to carve? So I taught Vern Baker and I taught Frank Burnings. And uh, there was uh, two more that came along, my cousin Martin Sparrow from Musqueam and his two sons, Shane and Nathan. Uh, we did the first 
two months on that pole. Um, I told them all, I said, you know, I have no money. It's, it's just all volunteer, right? But uh, the, the community did help. They, they did bring us sandwiches and pop, water, stuff like that, you know? It did help. And uh, the weird thing was I had two of my buddies, I played pool tournament. And I had two of my buddies that helped me money-wise. And they go, we realize <clears throat> you don't have no money. And my buddy goes, uh, I want to give you this. He gave me 600, eh? I'm going like, look, I, I really don't need that. I hate taking money from people, right? And I said, I really don't need that, you know? And, uh, but um, I, I learned enough from our AA program that do not have false pride. You know, when you need it, you need it. And don't let your ego and your false pride stand in the way, you know, that this will benefit the totem pole also. So I took the 600 and my other buddy, Vlad, heard, I heard what uh, Kim gave you 600. He said, I need to help you too. And he gave me a uh, 12 or 1400 American. And I went, oh my God, you guys are unreal. You know, yeah. but here's two of my friends just came out and helped me like that. Now, Robert, the, the other totems that are in Stanley Park, they would have been, they would have gotten funding to do them, but you did this by your own volition. And so you didn't have know. any support, right? No funding. Uh, I never even had carvers. You know, nobody was committed. Uh, when I just put it out, uh, they came, like Vern came, Frank came, and, and Dale, um, Dion. And then I, I did contact my cousin, Martin, from Musqueam, and he brought his, my nephews over. So we, that's how it came about that we end up doing it. Uh, I did have some volunteers that did come in, uh, and they did help for half a day or so, you know. But uh, many days I was out there, just two of us. You know, it took four months to do. A lot of people think that's quick, but it's like, no, nah, we could have did that in two months. If I had money and carvers, I could have done it in two months, yeah. you know. Yeah. But what an honor to do that, not only to honor my mom, but my people. And I made sure that I got about 14 documentaries on my poll that, um, that I mentioned that uh, our territory and my family growing up there, you know, and it's really important. Um, I go over to Stanley Park when it's regular before COVID, uh, sometimes four, five days out of the week, just to talk to the people on the buses that all come in, the tourists. And I enjoy talking to them, sharing our history and our story. And these uh, other businesses that uh, they have the, the tour tourism and they come and they want to I get hired out to the buses and the tour people, right? And even the guys on the bicycles. And once I find out, uh, they gave a card and they said, uh, we want to hire you because you, you hear talking, you're the one that knows all the knowledge about your people and that. And I said, uh, we want to hire you, we'll, we'll pay you. And I said, uh, thank you, but no, thank you. I said, I'm retired and I enjoy doing what I do. You know, it's free. It doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. And that was an important thing. Even when I was learning to uh, doing the poll, I, I mentioned to my other carvers here that when they talk about money, that it was bad for me to do this poll and not get paid from Stanley Park or Vancouver. And I looked at my other carvers that were here and I said, you know, it's not about money. I said, our old way, what happened? 
we would take care of our own people, our own family, what a lot they don't do anymore. I said, if I don't come visit you, I would never see you. And that's my family, eh? You know, I still practice the old way of going to the houses to visit my, my family, my friends, you know, and, uh, and to do uh, things and not expect to get paid for it. A lot of my people have their hands out and it's not supposed to be that way, you know? So again, just mentioning that to them because we got to keep our culture. Yeah. Yeah. That actually makes me think just to, to jump off of that point. I wanted to ask Maitre, you know, you're talking about the old ways, Robert, of your culture. Mm -hmm. And Maitre, you know, I, I understand that the, the traditional Indian culture, the old ways, it was really a matriarchal, a goddess culture, an earth-based culture. Can you talk a little bit about that outlook um, in the old in the old ways of the Indian culture? Yeah, thanks, mm -hmm. Ross. But before yeah. that, I just wanted to say this last Tuesday we interviewed Robert, and after we interviewed him, there was a busload of uh, you know people from the cruise ships coming in, <laughs> and man, you should have seen his energy. Like he was like you know, talking about the history, you know, I mean, they should be paying him, but like he said, he's so open-hearted. He spent hours there. I was waiting for him saying, can I buy you lunch? You know, and then he, he didn't even want lunch. You know, he went without lunch. He said, oh, I'll get a coffee and a muffin. So I got him a coffee and a muffin. And of course there, I, I still owe you lunch, Robert, on that. But it was just, I had to go for another shoot. But it was it was just admirable to see how much love he has for the land and for his people. And he shared with me quite a few years ago that the, it's interesting. Why I can relate to it is, before I go into your question, Ross, please, is please. because I come from India, was raised in India, and I understand the different bands or the different nations because India is very multicultural. It's very diverse, which means there are more than 22 major languages in India. So mm -hmm. if I live in Tamil Nadu, I speak Tamil, like my neighbors, you know, Kerala, they speak Malayalam, they speak, you know, the other state, you know, they speak Telugu, Kannada. So nobody from, uh, you know, like Kerala will be invited. You know, the, the arts are similar and yet different. For example, we have Bharatanatyam, we have other classical arts and they have Kathakali and they have Mohaniyattam or even their way of carving is slightly different. So as Robert said, you will not invite somebody from Kerala to erect a monument that is very Tamil, you know, mm -hmm. or from Tamil Nadu. So I, for me, it clicked right away, but for a Western mind that may not click. And it's unfortunate that, you know, they clubbed everything together. They didn't kind of make an attempt to say, hey, this is Squamish land, you know, and we need a Squamish carver. So thank you, thank you for bringing that to the forefront, Robert. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and being the only or the first and only totem in Stanley Park, which is Squamish land. Yeah, I think that needs to be mentioned. Yeah, again and again, you know, so authorities kind of educate themselves on what's important. Yeah. So I'll come to uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Ross's question now. So looking at the culture of India, yes, there was, it, it's, I won't say it's matriarchal, it was an equal culture. Because if you see the tantric perspective, there's Ardhanarishwar, which is half man, half woman. And half Shiva, half Shakti. Shiva consciousness and Shakti is power or this healing and creative force. So both of the, both these elements need to dance in us. 
And that's the entire ethos and practice and elevation. So if you see Kundalini Shakti, we're waiting for the Divine Mother to purify us, to clear us, to elevate us, elevate us into more expansive ways of being. So yes, we start with ground realities, which is Mother Earth. She's the one who nourishes us. And there are many, many, many stories in the Indian culture where sometimes uh, there, are, there were a group of sages who became... It's like spiritual bypassing where they said, oh, you know, we just need all these scriptures and all these high thoughts and, you know, we don't need all these material things. So, of course, the divine mother, in this case, the mother, uh, uh, Ross, because she's always rooted in the material reality. She's rooted in the human experience. So she comes to remind us that we shouldn't get too airy-fairy, you know, too scriptural or too intellectual like professors and say, listen, you know, watch out for ground realities. So these group of sages, they were like, oh yeah, we just need the scriptures and this and consciousness. And they were in their, you know, that whole bubble. And then she says, oh, I'll, I'll show them, you know. And so one aspect of Shakti is Annapurni. Annapurni is the mother who feeds. Annam is food. Purnata is fullness. So she's full of nourishment. She's full of food. She said, let me withdraw food from the world and let's see how these intellectuals survive, you know? <laughs> so she just withdrew food from the world. And then, of course, they learned their lesson and they were like, oh, what's happening, Divine Mother? They prayed and they said, yeah, this will teach you not to be too disconnected from the practicalities or your human experience. So if you see in any Indian arts, this human experience is celebrated. If you see the Navarasa, the in performance arts, I'm not talking about just the yantra, yantras or any uh, any uh, you know kind of artistic expression, but the performance arts, there is a lot of the Navarasa, the human emotions that are brought into the forefront. So it can be a catharsis, it can be uh, uh, identi identification, but also a transformation through that identification happens. So you identify, you're immersed, you're transformed, and you're elevated. So that's the beauty of the Indian arts. And I'll, and I'll stop there, Ross. <laughs> that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And it's I love hearing the dialogue <clears throat> between you, Maitre, and Robert, because I know you, you two have a beautiful relationship that's been developing over the last few years. And I'm really excited uh, to see this, this idea come to fruition of, of Robert's story and the creation of his totem and Maitre as you said you were interviewing him in front of his totem in Stanley Park the other day if I can backpedal to uh, something that Maitre touched on and ask you a question Robert Maitre was pointing out you know um, that you make that distinction uh, you know the western mind tends to lump all the different indigenous cultures together but there's very distinct cultures, even within small regions. Um, and I know that it's important to you. You've been educating uh, a lot of the younger generations on, you know, the distinction between their Squamish nation culture or, or even just the Coast Salish regional cultures versus some of the other cultural traditions from Turtle Island that may be getting adopted. Can you speak to that point a little bit? Um. The, the one thing I was going to, uh, I was thinking about was um, uh, mainly, you know, like right now we're very open. We have um, different, um, uh, the other cultures that we call our relatives, be it if they're, uh, 
if they're East Indian, if they're Maoris, Hawaiians, and that uh, even the Ainu, Japanese, that their culture has uh, very strong similarities. And of course, uh, we honestly don't really know where we came from when we came over that land bridge, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 years ago or whatever. But when we looked at their culture, we found such strong similarities. Even with Japan, with the Ainu, they have the canoe. They're canoe people like us. We are canoe people. We are seagoing. And um, that's why when we have our regalia, we have um, little paddles on it, uh, on the jacket, on the back and that. And of course, what animal power we are. Uh, Tina was looking at this painting I have back here. It's, uh, it's uh, from the island, it's called Snake Woman. And it's a beautiful uh, from a story on their island. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little bit far away, but we could get the general gist of it. It's a woman sitting and the snakes are around her head. Artist, and apparently when you go into uh, the Vancouver Island over in Nanaimo and that, there is an island that, uh, a small island that's called Snake Island. That, that's the history on the back of that. I was so fortunate that uh, I got to get that. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes we uh, take on certain animal powers. Some are like a bear. You could be a bear or, uh, you know, you could be a raven if you're a trickster, you know. And uh, so that's your personality. That's your identity. And I've always related with the snake, always. And any of my own personal carvings, I always have a snake on my, the bottom of it, uh, on my drumstick and everything like that. But uh, getting to um, know the other cultures, like we just had the Maori in uh, just before COVID, and they stay with us. They come over here, about 20, 30 of them. Um, Nancy, uh, I keep in touch with them also. Uh, this other one, uh, there's two movies out, one called Once Were Warriors, very strong Maori movie, very heavy in the realistic of the culture and how alcohol and drug impacted their Maori lifestyle also. And of course, the other one, which is from the other end of my, my other friends down this part of the island, that's all I know, uh, is the whale rider. And that's where the story of the young girl on the whale rider, and she's out with the whales, eh? Beautiful story with that, but we got our stories too on whales, killer whales. So again, the importance of it, um, I'm hoping to go visit them. And uh, But again, when, when you see, uh, we uh, invite them into our big house. Uh, I'll be doing that with Maya. Uh, hopefully, maybe... Uh, this uh, the beginning of next year in January or February, but I'll be I can bring her in, but we're not open like the powwow that she was going to come to. I was trying to explain to her <clears throat> that uh, the one thing I felt very strong myself was with my culture because it they called us a secret society on that, and it went underground. Well, in the 70s when it came back, it came back strong. Now we may have seven, eight hundred, a thousand dancers within our four thousand of the membership that 
comes October, we will open the big house again. We've had to shut it for two and a half years, which was very hard for my people. And so we tried to drum them because uh, it's so important that we drum and we sing them. Um, we are so different than just a powwow, big difference. And so when I do my daughter's memorial, we do it normally four years or whatever, uh, but it's gotta be four years, uh, uh, a memorial of your grandparents or whoever you're gonna do. Uh, I, I definitely, I told her I'll be bringing her into my culture and I guarantee you she'll see something she'd never seen. It would be like uh, you went back 150 years or 200 years. My people still wear the paint. I did show her some of the pictures that we are not allowed to show, but um, I did show her some of the pictures because um, um, a lot of my people became prairie Indians. And uh, I even spoke out against that. Uh, the powwow that was down here, that was prairie or American. And I spoke 40 some odd years against that. And uh, speaking against my people, because uh, I said, no, you're doing exactly what the, the non-native did to us as you're diluting our culture and we don't need it. And they try to tell me native is native. And I went, no, you have your own identity, even to the colors of the totem pole, very important. Like I say, they adopted the three colors from the sixties when we were longshoring and made so much money, we didn't need to carve. And uh, we never got to teach our nephews and our kids and that carvings, right? So again, it, it was so important that, uh, uh, so when we do this practice, uh, we can invite in a person throughout our season of the winter, but it's gonna be good to bring her in and show her really what my culture is because there's no records of it. We don't allow any pictures. We don't allow any recordings. And like I say, what goes on in there, it stays in there. And uh, I, I played one of the songs for Tina was our murdered and missing woman. Uh, we have a song for our murdered and missing woman. And especially, uh, you know, today being indigenous day that um, we celebrate all areas Slave-a-tooth, Musqueam, Squamish, and all the other areas, Lummi Island, the American side, and all that, that uh, now we have been given a day. We are recognized. And uh, it's important that, that uh, we keep up our culture, be it with uh, teaching our young kids how to drum, the song, the meaning of the song, where it comes from. And same as like uh, with our big house, we have a mask that you can only participate in, but it's got to be in your blood to participate with that. Thank you so much, Robert. It's it's so fascinating to hear all these these stories and nuances around your culture. And and um, I'm wondering, uh, we have one really nice question here from someone in the audience uh, for both of you which I'll read out and you can both respond. And then we're getting towards the end of our time. So we'll have a few closing uh, remarks before we part ways. This question is from Sabina. And Sabina says, the world has embraced the yoga movement, perhaps not always in the way it was initially envisioned, but this Indian art is so very helpful to modern people in coping with today's unique challenges. 
First Nations have faced different challenges in different parts of the world. But for me, the most important question that inspires my yoga practice and my life on this earth is simply, what kind of ancestor do I want to be? I wonder if both speakers could be briefly speak to this question. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing stories. I bow to you. Ross, thank you too. Thank you, Sabina. So the question that she's asking you to both to address is this question, what kind of ancestor do I want to be? Your thoughts or interpretations on that way of looking at things. Me? Please, Robert, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go first. yeah uh, well, you know, the ancestry is so important with our culture. I mean, even to get your ancestral name, like when I got my ancestral name of Haliat Soweno, it's so important. You know, uh, again, with the ancestry is always to know who you are, where you are, and where you came from, and um, with your regalia you have what songs you sing and that and practice it's so important that because this was taken from us our identity and it was important that we are now in process of reclaiming only within 40 years claiming our culture back we also just reinstated our canoe journey which we started down here at Ambleside, which is going on today right now. My nephew's playing down there. And um, it's like, I think we started out with 10 canoes and then we go village to village from here over to uh, Tawasan. And then we go to uh, Lummi Island, Suquamish, uh, Tulalip. And we, all the villages are marked out. So we'll spend the night but as we come to Lummi Island, or even Tomasin, even though they are part of our family, before we come ashore, our 10 canoes, we ask permission to come ashore. And it's again with our ancestry uh, that's been passed on to us that we need to respect that when we come ashore, we're welcome. And then same as go to Lummi Island, uh, we drum, sing our songs, each canoe comes in uh, they sing their song and they all got their own songs that uh, when they come, their canoe comes in. So it's important. And then they have like a, several elders like myself and that. And um, what I did in Stanley Park on the 150th birthday, we had 20 canoes came in and three of them were the RCMP and the Vancouver police and this other one. But uh, uh, they ask permission, even they ask permission to come ashore when they come to Stanley Park, our territory. But again, it's so important that uh, knowing your regalia, your songs, and that, and, and to teach our youth, we now bring our youth on this journey that was just the elders that went, medium elders, you know, that go from here. It would take about six weeks to two months to stop off each village. And now that we started with 10 canoes, by the time we got to Lummi, by the time we got to Tulalip, we had 160 canoes, we had 180 canoes, and it's just grown like this now. This is us reclaiming our culture, our identity, and that's our ancestry as uh, our identity of who we are. And 
we welcome every um, people to learn our culture. Thank you, Robert. Maitre, if you would like to comment on the, this idea of what kind of ancestor do I want to be? I just say ditto to what Rob, Robert said, and also just one line where when we are becoming uh, the ancestors, we want to leave a legacy of love where we are acting in alignment with Sanatana Dharma. So it's in one sentence, I can just say that. And in India, the word, or in my language from uh, uh, Tamil and Sanskrit have different names, but the word for culture is kalacharam. Kalai is art and acharam is behavior. So culture literally means the art of refined behavior. So that's the sort of ancestor we want to be. We want to pass on this legacy of subtle, refined, harmonious behavior, not greed, not, you know, things that are disharmonious. So I'll leave it at that. But before that, I also wanted to thank Tina. Tina is one of our volunteers who is actually with Robert. I want you to say hi, <laughs> Tina. <laughs> so she's one of the Arkaya volunteers who very graciously agreed to take her computer and set up you know, like a help Robert with uh, technology. And I see a uh, hello from Australia, from Anissa as well. So I'll acknowledge her too. She's also a dear sister and student of many years. And uh, yeah, I won't take too much time here. <laughs> Thank you, Maitreji. Any, any closing words or closing thoughts, Robert, before we say our goodbyes? Well, it's just so good. Uh, just thanks for you know, inviting me into this. Uh, I really enjoy sharing my culture, you know, with the world, everybody, you know. Uh, there's so much, uh, you know, that's going on with, um, especially with my culture, you know. Uh, it's just um, not only residential school, you know. Uh, we have so many different things, issues that we're dealing with that, um, we're looking at resolving them, we're getting them done. And uh, it's just so good to share them with you guys, you know, and thank you. Thank you so much, Robert. And thanks to our live audience and Maitreji. It's been a wonderful evening and looking forward to connecting again soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Ross. Tina thank you. <laughs> thanks for joining us for branches of wisdom a podcast of banyan books and sound canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970 our podcast producer is jacob Steele. the show is edited by abdo habani and i'm your host ross mckeechee Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com. <laughs>